Well, I have a confession to make. It's not something I'm proud of, but it's part of my story, so I need to share it. And it all went down in grade seven, and my teacher at the time was Mrs. Broker. Now, how many of you here this morning are in grade seven, just graduated from grade seven, going into grade seven? Just coming out of grade seven, a few of you? I don't recommend doing this. That's my disclaimer. As some of you may know, I am not an overly great speller. If you have received an email from me or if you received a text from me, this is going to come as no great surprise. I cannot spell good or well, as you can see. As part of the grade seven studies, we had a number of spelling tests that we had to do throughout the year. And for some reason, my teacher, Ms. Broker, she loved to give us these pop spelling tests. She loved them. All of a sudden, boom, there was a test. I not so much, didn't care much for him. As I arrived at school, a chipper grade seven or ready to, to participate in the activities of the day, eager to go about, she says, class, it's time for a spelling test. I tried my best, but my best was not good enough on this test because when it came back, I had a whole lot more red X's than I did check marks. In fact, I failed this test so miserably that she pulled me aside and she says, Marcel, take this test home, bring it to your parents, and they need to see how bad you did. Have them sign it and bring it back. How cruel. Teachers out there, that's cruel to do. And trust me, this is something I did not want to do. This was not a good plan because if I knew I brought that test home, I knew I was going to get that talking to. You know how it goes. You got to try better at school. Learn your spelling. Here's words to go through for the next test. And I had to do everything I could to avoid that big talk at home. So I had to deceive my teacher in thinking that I gave the test to my mom to sign. So what I had to do was, get this, I had to figure out how to sign my mom's signature and forge it on the test. My mom never saw the test. I took a pencil, took it to a scrap piece of paper, and I practiced her signature. And it's not a fancy signature, it's actually kind of a messy one, so it took some time. It took three, four times, and I thought, I nailed this signature down, I went to the test, and I did it in pencil. It sucked, so I had to erase it. And I did it again, and I erased it, and I did it again. It took me about four tries to get this signature just perfect so that if I handed it in, Mrs. Broker would have believed that it was the case, that my mom saw it. So the next day, I walked up confidently to her desk, and I put this thing on her desk, and I walked away, and I'm thinking, man, this was a plan. It played out like a good movie. I'm getting away with this scot-free. It was a pretty decent plan. Until the next day. I came to school, we're doing our stuff, we're getting homework, and in front of the whole class, she says, Marcel, can I please see you in the hallway? This was it. My big crime was coming down, there was this, this was gonna crash, it was gonna get messy. And, and she said this, she says, Marcel, did your mom sign this test? And I looked her straight in the eyes, and I said, yes, she did. She signed it. I'm not proud of this. All right, and then she looks at me again. And she says, are you sure? She was so gracious to give me a second chance. She said, are you sure your mom is the one who signed this? And I looked her and I did this puppy dog eyes and I said, yes, Mrs. Broker, she did. And then she says, if that is the case, how come her signature is erased? And I'm thinking I'm busted. This is it, but I was committed. So this is what I said to her. I said, Mrs. Broker, you are right. I tried to forge her signature 
and then it didn't work, and I felt guilty about it, so I went to my mom, and I told her the truth. <laughs> and get this, here's what I said. I promise, Mrs. Broker, this is what happened. I'm sorry. True story. My mom never saw the test. She believed she did. It was a win. But did I get away with it? Deception. Sneakily trying to get around the truth so you can get out of trouble. That's precisely what James is trying to get at in our text this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to James chapter 5, verse 12. We have just looking at one text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, James 5, verse 12, Bible apps, open it up. And if you have neither, it'll be on the screen. And since it is only one verse today, I thought it would be nice if we could read it together in unison in one voice. So let's read it together. Is it going to be on the There we go. Let's read this together. James 5, verse 12. Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. If you think back to the past number of sermons that we had on James, faith and works, you will notice a very common topic that James keeps coming back to over and over and over again. It, it, it's, it's coming to the point where I think some of us are just ready to scream and say, James, we get it. We get it, James. The tongue. It's dangerous. It, it's this small little muscle that can start a fire, this huge forest fire, all from the tongue. Take a look. It says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. James 1, 19. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. James 1, 26. Our speech reveals our sinful favoritism. James 2, 3 to 4. We stumble in what we say. James 3, verse 2. The tongue is the hardest part of the body to train. James 3, 6 to 8. Verbal slander reveals our pride. James 4. Grumblers will be judged, James 5, verse 9. James, we get it. But do we? Has the use of our tongue changed over the past 12 weeks as together we've studied this short little letter? My guess is that we are not much different than the original readers of this letter. We need to hear it one more time. The power of the tongue that can bring forth praise to a holy God is the same tongue that will cause slander and curses to a holy God. What comes out of our mouth perhaps does not always reflect the heart's love that we have. And James once again comes back to this point. He hammers this home. What comes out of the mouth must reflect our heart's love for a holy God. They must match up. The two must go together. This is of such great importance for the believers that James comes out at one more time in verse 12. Now, James, understanding the culture and can see and hear what's taking place, believes that the believers, that those who are hearing this, must hear it. So he pops in verse 12. And if you look very closely, it is a kind of a standalone verse. 
There's a different tone that takes place in the 11, first 11 verses that you heard about last week about patience and suffering, and it, it changes again when we look at the next 13 and forward talking about prayer that we're going to look at next week. There's a different tone in his voice. There is no therefore reflecting what has happened. It, it, there is no now that you've read everything else in James above all, and when you go to chapter 13, there's no therefore. It is a standalone, different kind of a tone to this particular verse. And it starts out this way. Above all, brothers and sisters. We need to keep in mind that the readers of this letter didn't have the different chapters and verses that we have today. So this letter was most likely read in one sitting. The readers of this letter, which is the 12 tribes scattered across the nations, as you read in chapter 1, just read all these, these powerful teachings from the book of James. And James goes through powerful, powerful, powerful teaching. And then he says, and above all, folks, above all, here's what he's saying. He's saying, folks, this is important. So sit up. Pay attention. Take out your pens. Write this down because what you're about to hear is so crucial, it is going to rock your world. It is going to change how you talk and the language that you use needs to change and it can change today. So above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear by heaven or by earth or anything else. Wow. Did, J did James really just say that? Because James is not talking about profanity here. What he is talking about is the misuse of swearing an oath. So to help us understand oath-taking, we need to take a quick look at the Old Testament. The third commandment of the Old Testament, which we read earlier in this service, states this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord thy God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. God is deeply concerned that we do not miss his, misuse his name in our speech. There is power in a name. It is one's identity. Exodus 20 starts out with this. I am. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is who I am, he says. I am your God. Do not misuse my name, for I am a holy God. Psalms 8 says it this way, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There is power in a name, in the names of God, because it is wrapped up in his identity. God is a holy God, therefore his name is holy. God is of infinite worth, therefore his name is of infinite worth. So taking the name of God and cheaping it down to a slang or a curse word or using it in a manner that is unworthy of a holy God demeans not just the name of God, but it demeans God himself. Our God is a holy God. He is the Lord Almighty. 
and the use of his name must reflect his holiness. So when we read about all these oaths taking place in the Old Testament, and I would encourage you at some point to do a study of this, to take a look at these, you will notice that the oaths that were taken were used in solemn events. These were important events in the people's lives where they wanted to confirm their spoken word. It states in Deuteronomy 6.13, For the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. When people swore an oath in the Old Testament, they were invoking the name of a holy God as a witness to the truthfulness of their words. And then they were ready to bear judgment should they not uphold the oath that was made. This was serious business. Once you made an oath by invoking the name of a holy God, you kept your word. Numbers 30, verse 2 says this, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but do everything he said. Taking an oath was serious business, and you do not misuse or cheapen the name of God, for he is holy. And then we get this in James, where he's telling us, don't swear, don't take an oath. What gives? Does this seem to go kind of contrary to the Old Testament? Let's take another look at verse 12. Do you notice what James is not saying? Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, neither by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Notice he does not say, do not swear by the name of a holy God. This is not forbidden. There are times when invoking the name of God into a covenant oath is good and always binding. For example, a few years ago I stood before you and I made an oath and I made a vow to you and to our Lord that I would strive to fulfill faithfully, diligently, cheerfully the duties required of me then as the executive pastor and now as the pastor of faith formation to do that diligently and to do it faithfully according to scripture and that includes the preaching of the word and includes administering the sacraments of baptism and communion it includes officiating at weddings a solemn occasion an oath made for those that get married in the church you made a vow before God and his people that you would love and cherish each other till death do you part That was a vow made before God's people and God himself. At baptism, we promise before God and his people that we will pray and we will support the one being baptized. The Bible tells us, and make no mistake about it, we need to take these oaths seriously. We need to keep these solemn oaths for we have called upon the holy name of a sovereign God to be our witness. And this is no joking matter. So exactly what is James trying to tell us this morning? Do not swear. Do not take an oath. What's he telling us? Well, the Pharisees knew that taking an oath and invoking the name of a holy God was a tremendously serious event in one's life. You don't mess around with the name of God. You just didn't do it. 
So they became clever and they devised a deceptive plan to get out of an oath made. They created less binding oaths. They created different levels of oaths. Because what they wanted to do, they wanted to say an oath make it binding, but if it didn't go the way they wanted it, or this oath was turning out, this promise was turning out a little bit differently than what they expected, they could get out of it. So they would say something like this, I swear by my life that I will. Or they will say, I swear on my mother's grave that I will do this. All sworn oaths, but none made in the name of a holy God, therefore could be broken without penalty. How deceptive. How sneaky. This, this form of oath-taking has become a fine art for the Pharisees. The height of accomplishment was to convince somebody you were telling the truth because you swore on something, but not something sacred enough to be considered swearing in the name of a holy God. Thus, they could break it. You know, it's similar to a child crossing their fingers when they say they're going to do something and they cross their fingers and, and stick it behind their back. You say, why didn't you do it? Ha <laughs> ha, and the fingers crossed. It's similar to that. Deceptive. Trickery. Untruthful oath swearing became a common way of life, making a promise with the intention of not fulfilling it, saying a little white lie to avoid telling the truth. But a white lie is still a deceptive untruth. A lie is a lie. And James says, stop it. Stop all the swearing, deceptive nonsense. Keep God's name holy. How have we done in our conversations? You know, maybe we have grown out of crossing our fingers behind our back and we've stopped saying, I swear by. But perhaps we have skirted around the truth by being deceptive in our talk. Have we made promises we have no intention of keeping because it's just easier to say we will in the moment? We promise our kids that we're going to take them someplace, and when we fail to do so, the kids are going to start asking questions, and perhaps it's easier to say, well, work got busy. Daddy had to work late today, when really all that happened is you just simply forgot that you made that promise. But it seems less harmful to say you were busy than to say you forgot, so we try to skirt around the truth. We pass the blame. Have you perhaps been deceptive with your boss when confronted with a problem? How about your teacher? You skirt around the truth with your boss and your teacher because you know that if you are going to share the full truth and nothing but the truth, it's going to make you feel a little bit more guilty or you are going to become guilty because of it and you want to avoid that at all costs. So you share a little white lie. You don't tell the full truth. Or you want to sell something on bidding wars, Abbotsford bidding wars, and you're not quite completely honest about the condition of what you're selling because after all, buyer beware, or you end up forging your mother's signature on a test. Deception in our speech reveals the value of our heart. Deception in our speech reveals the value of our hearts for out of the heart the mouth speaks. 
What I love about this verse is that James comes down heavy on what has gone wrong. He convicts them of their sin, but he gives them a better way to go. He doesn't condemn them to hell for walking in the footsteps of the father of hell, a father of deception, the devil. Not at all. James shows them a way of grace. He shows them a grace by offering them a new way to live. Instead of cheapening down the sacredness of swearing an oath, instead of walking in your deceptive ways, why don't you try this way? Let your yes be yes, and let your no be a no. James is saying, and you you fill in your name here, let the integrity of your word be enough, and may the integrity of your life be your witness. Let the integrity of your word be enough, and may the integrity of your life be your witness. I don't know how many of you here this morning have watched the movie A Few Good Men. It came out a number of years, quite a while ago, actually. And Lieutenant Kathy, played by Tom Cruise, is a military lawyer defending two U.S. Marines who were accused of killing another Marine officer at Guantanamo Bay Naval Base in Cuba. And as it turns out, the accused Marines were most likely filling out an order that was given to them by a commanding officer. And you always follow the command of somebody higher ranked than you. And as a result of this, this conspiracy that was going on, this court case, this goes to court, and Lieutenant Caffey takes the risk by calling his superior to the stand. He calls to the stand Colonel Nathan R. Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson. And he comes to the stand, and, and as, the, as the conversation's going, the truth is being revealed, this conspiracy theory is becoming revealed, and people are starting to understand, and the pressure is on the Colonel Jessup, and he is getting nailed with the truth, hammered with the truth, and he sits there, and he gets angry, and he yells out, you can't handle the truth. Friends, to have integrity in your word is to be a gentle truth giver and a gracious truth receiver. Because the love of God should flow freely from the depth of a heart that is rooted in who God is. This is how truth can be handled. This is how truth can be received. And this is how truth can also be appreciated. This is integrity in our speech. As believers in a holy God, this is where we are to be set apart. Those that know us should never question whether our word is true or not. Your word should be your bond. Your spoken word should be free from deception, untruthful promises, so that the holy name of God will not be smeared by what comes out of your mouth. But letting your yes be yes and your no, no, is easier said than done. Let's be honest. Being truthful is not our natural tendency, is it? We are sinners. But by the grace of God and the love of God, we have been forgiven of our past deception and untruthfulness, and through the working of the Holy Spirit, we are given the grace to move forward in proving our verbal integrity. There are going to be times when we speak untruth. 
That's our sinful nature coming out. But may it never be the way of our heart. May it never be this unbroken pattern in our lives. May it be the exception and not the rule of how we live. Our holy God knew this was going to be difficult for us. We live in a culture where deception permeates all aspects of our society and whose ugly head has crept into the body of Christ, the church. But out of his great love, our holy God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that's the good news of the gospel. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. We are forgiven through the sacrificial love of our Lord Jesus on the cross. Thus we give thanks to God our Father that our Savior Jesus Christ, before he suffered, he gave us this memorial of his sacrifice until he comes again. And the scripture teaches that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he, he took the bread and he broke it. And when he had given thanks, he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. When you drink it, remember, remember me. For when you eat this bread and when you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So as we move forward in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may your integrity of speech be evidence of who God is. May your speech be a witness of a holy God who sacrificed his life so that you and I may live. Oh Lord, our oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth for you alone are holy amen let's stand and sing holy 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 and during the song i invite the elders the serving council members to come forward and follow in the song i ask you remain standing please stand <laughs>